Have you ever been to a roller skating rink? I have. Have you ever? But like, have you been? I went with you once. <laughs> what do you mean? What's the meaning behind this? <laughs> because when I think of purpose, or in this case, I'll say misdirected purpose, I remember going to a roller skating rink in my adult life, my goddamn adult life, and I felt like I was supposed to be there, that I was going to meet my husband there, and that my entire life was meant to be roller skating. Have you ever seen me in roller skates? <laughs> yes. One time. <laughs> exactly. The one time that I'm talking about. I did not follow up on it because I don't think this is actually my purpose, but I will say that every fiber of my being thought this is my future. I had no clue. <laughs> learning lots. Learning lots. Bree and Jesse are learning lots. But learn so much there. Hi, I'm Bree. And I'm Jessie. Oh, gosh, we're learning so lots. We're learning lots. We're here to talk about meaning and purpose because this is our show. and We decided, why not two words this time? <laughs> well, I think initially it was going to be meaning. And then we were like, that's so heavy. Let's put an even heavier topic on mm -hmm. top of it. Let's go. And purpose. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this as somebody who feels that they do have meaning and purpose, but I don't know if it's always true. Like me thinking that roller skating was going to be my life forever. I can get quite taken with things. I get enthusiastic about things. And I think this is forever. This is it. This is the end. But then at the same time, I'm a committed person. I've been acting for a long time. I do find a lot of meaning and purpose in that. So, you know, who knows? Life is complex. I contain multitudes. What would you say, Jesse? I think there's nothing wrong with having a bunch of meanings. As somebody who has struggled with depression, I must say, having some sense of meaning is just the lifeline we sometimes need. Yes. I am very well versed in feeling meaningless. And so if there's a day that comes where I'm like, roller skating is going to be my meaning, that sounds like a great day. I'm down for some temporary meaning, a few hours of purpose. But yes, I do have like overarching meaning and purpose in my life. It's that day-to-day -day meaning that is like way harder for me to, especially during the pandemic. It's been rough. There are some days where like, you know, you're not supposed to go outside. You're not supposed to go meet up with anyone. And still are days where I'm struggling and lacking meaning. There's one bucket where I see it as my individual meaning and purpose. Like I could get really excited about like, oh, got to get a bedside table at Ikea. Like that's my purpose <laughs> for today is I'm going to go, I'm going to pick it out, I'm going to build it. And that's like my day and I can feel enthusiasm. Like I don't believe in my head that like anybody else in the world is like, yeah, Brie, go, like go. No higher power of forces is like, this is good for the world. She went to Ikea. But then there's the other part of me and the meaning and purpose. You're laughing. <laughs> the meaning and purpose. When was the last time you went to Ikea and built I've a had to refurnish this place. Incredible. I had no clue. I'm saying all of this from truth. Two, unbuilt bedside tables because I don't have the right tools. I'm filled with meaninglessness. They're just sitting there. Then there's the part of meaning and purpose that feels like a larger meaning and purpose. 
So sometimes it's like, oh, I really want to tell this story in this film because it feels like it would blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it's not about just me. Of course, it always ends up being about me. But I get the disillusionment that it's connected to other people. I mean, the purpose I consistently come back to is leave it better than you found it. So if I can die having done something nice to the world, then it was all meaningful. I'm so cringy (laughs) talking about about like overarching meaning it's very vulnerable it sounds like a greeting card as i'm saying it i'm like oh i promise i didn't read that in a walmart card aisle (laughs) but i do have a shirt that says it (laughs) (laughs) what would you say your meaning and purpose is oh gosh i mean to be perfect that is not (laughs) i am totally joking my meaning and purpose i feel very committed to self-improvement i do feel it with storytelling I'll read lots of scripts and I don't necessarily know what I want. And sometimes I'll feel sort of depressed because I'll read a lot of things and I'm like, oh, nothing is feeling right. And I think, oh, maybe I'm done. Like maybe I'm just not going to act ever again because none of this feels right. And then something will hit and I'll read it and it's like, oh, that's because this was the thing. It's falling in love with life again, falling in love with the experience and time oof, and presence. Oh gosh, these concepts, these words are getting too big. Should I go back to the roller skating? (laughs) 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 To your point, Jesse, it is tough when the days can start to feel the same. Maybe our routines are out of whack. Yeah. And I'm really grateful to hear you say it. I think I'm a little sad. And I think talking about meanings challenging and talking to you is always helpful. Oh, well, I'm sorry that you're feeling sad and you just let me know if you need anything from me at any point in the conversation. I have a feeling that yours is going to be very open to you bringing sad energy, sad girl theory into this conversation. I think it's always helpful. Sad girl theory? What is that? It's my lifestyle, but what? Audrey Woolen, she started this thing called Sad Girl Theory many years ago, and it's always really stuck with me. It was like her in defense of saying, like, I'm just allowed to be sad. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to be different. I'm just sad. All right. I'll be reading about sad girl theory this week. I'll report back. But we have a guest today who I believe is full of meaning and purpose. Her words have meant a lot to me. Our guest today is Yersa Daly Ward. She's a writer, poet, model, and actor. She's known for her books Bone and The Terrible and is the co-writer of Beyonce's Black is King. Her work has appeared in many publications worldwide, including Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, Dazed, Playboy, and Notion. Her upcoming book is called The How, Notes on the Great Work of Meeting Yourself. Hi. Irsa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've just loved your words for so long. So to get the opportunity to speak with you is a real pleasure. Thank you. We are here to talk about purpose and meaning. Little easy breezy combo. (laughs) What does that stir in you? What do you feel when I say that? I think about how everything only has as much weight as you give it. And I think it's a question of perception, what we choose to focus on and what we choose to take away from an action or something someone says or something we say at any given time. But I think it's all down to who's experiencing it. The meaning of something can be so interchangeable. You can imbue something with maybe meaning that it doesn't have. Like if I write a poem and somebody says oh yeah, you know, to me it meant this. And I think, well, yours is better than mine. So yeah, sure, you know? (laughs) I'm curious about writing in particular because 
you write something and it's meaningful to you, and then it goes out and takes on something else. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because it's very unique, I think, to someone who's a creator. First of all, I think it carries like in acting, in, in anything. As long as what you feel when you're in the making of it or in the performance is authentic, then it taps into something someone else is feeling because, you know, we're all mirrors. And even though our perceptions are different, what we feel is the meat of the thing. When I write the thing, I'm feeling something. It doesn't actually matter what happens after that because it's always something else, I think, when it meets the air or it meets the page. But there has to be that spark in the beginning and the spark needs to be true. Are there certain rituals or things you do to kind of bring in that vulnerable, truthful spirit into your work? Do you have to wait for it? Are there things that you do to summon it? <laughs> Can it be summoned? As I go through the day, I get worse and worse. So I wake up and I'm closer to my whatever we call it, source spirit, the thing that's in me that's true, that's not afraid, that doesn't care as much about what people think, that's not afraid of like things that bother us, bills opinions, deadlines, all of those things. And that truth is that when I wake up. So I try to just get to the page as quick as possible before the day begins. And I just slowly just start to lose it. And then by the end of the day, I'm just no good to anyone. The voice gets diluted and I'm thinking about other things and people pleasing and doing all of those other things. Do you write every single day? I try to, because if I wait, then I'm really not going to have anything writing in the morning i scroll some things down things that i don't want to lose things from like dream space then i go out walking in the morning i need the light in my eyes i need to know that it's morning wake my brain up i need my circadian rhythm to start and then by the time i'm back at the house then i can do the rest of the writing if i do those things it just brings me a little bit more into myself i can't say that the depression won't come they're like building blocks. I've got to do them at the early part of the day before the other things set in. And then I'm good. Do you have a definition of what your purpose is? I think it's to make it okay to talk about the parts of our nature that we don't always want to talk about. We're all more alike than we're not. And I think sometimes when I see things written, I think, God, yeah, I have that feeling. That's beautiful. I've been so hard on myself this morning. I mean, not just this morning. Let's see. I'm 30. So like for the last 30 years, um, <laughs> but specifically this morning, talking about my purpose, I was like, I don't know. I guess my purpose is to make people laugh. And I'm like, is that a valid purpose? Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, great. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's everything. I feel like there's this larger meaning and purpose, which then includes how we connect and relate with other people. And then there's the quiet of what it's like to be with ourselves. And that type of purpose and meaning is, oh God, it feels embarrassing to say. It feels more embarrassing <laughs> to me than the other stuff because I'm like, oh, it's really just the five minutes I had before we got on to record where I was meditating and the sun was really beautiful coming through the window and I felt peace. That felt purposeful to me. And it was just for me. When you're with yourself, that purpose is actually quite simple. Yeah, I think it has to be. Any issues or problems I do have arise from not remembering that and making it too complicated. A huge purpose is to have a good time while we're here. <laughs> and I forget. 
I think about all the things that I've got to do and all the things that I've forgotten to do or I'm not doing or I'm going to get in trouble because I haven't done. Usually like bureaucratic stuff, which just freaks me out. Paperwork, stuff like that. I'm the same way. The second I get something in the mail, I'm like, this is something I'm never going to accomplish. It's awful. It's so awful and so <laughs> overwhelming, right? <laughs> You're making me feel so much better already. Yeah, I think it's super simple and I am here to have a good time. I'm here to learn, yes. I'm here to do all the things, yes. But I'm also here to enjoy my time. I want to always stay close to that. Yeah, Jesse. I hope you're taking that in. I feel good about that. The purpose doesn't have to always be like the most heroic moment of our life. I'm sorry that I'm so sad girl theory today, but sometimes it feels like my purpose is just to like survive, like just get through it. It's not easy. I'm going to go to bed tonight and then I have to wake up and I have to do it all again. You know, there was a point in my sleep where I just thought, God, this is just some cyclical nightmare. Things get tough. It's a lot. Those small things that I've got to do every day to get a sense of myself, my feet on the ground, the sky, the trees, because without that, things get out of proportion. I think something's a lot more serious than it is. Something that will probably pass with time. And I know as humans, we're not great at that anyway, you know, because what's right here can seem huge. It's also not. You said that sometimes your purpose is just to enjoy and to have fun. When do you enjoy yourself the most? I love my own company. You know, reading a new book, listening to a great piece of music, a really good walk in nature, being with people I love, foods, cooking, eating. You don't need a lot to be able to do those things. I keep having to remind myself of that. Can you talk about a period of time in your life where you didn't feel like you had a ton of meaning or purpose? All of my 20s. As I said, I I wrote from a very young age, but I think I had a moment there when something wasn't sliding into place. You know, I was grieving my parents. There was a lot of unresolved trauma. There are so many ways, I think, especially when we're growing and we're in our early 20s and stuff, that you feel something in you at your core doesn't feel right, but you manage it in the best way you can. And sometimes the best way you can is searching for a lot of distraction, which a lot of the time it works. But then you get further and further away from yourself. And I used to love to travel. I spent some time away in like South Africa and everything. That was amazing. But it was really to escape a feeling, which was a sort of void, a sort of emptiness. And it would manifest in not exactly knowing my place in the world, I think, which brings us back to purpose, not knowing what I could give. And it is all about giving, I think. And when I was not sharing were my very lowest points. There's a direct correlation. So strange how we get in our own way. Like the time when we need to speak the most is when we silence ourselves. The time when we need the walk the most, we make an excuse for it. I think that having all this time alone has really shown me that because there's not all of these other distractions to blame it on. I'm like, oh, there's a problem and it's Oh, it's me again. (laughs) (laughs) And it's universal too. I mean, I so admire you and your work and to hear you say that you struggle. I also view your work as being so cathartic. I mean, you're talking about deep truths and vulnerabilities. And so to me, I'm like, I can create this illusion of like, you've built this pathway for yourself where you can just share and say whatever, and I'm trapped in my body. And you still have to fight against that urge to do that. Yeah. It's such a gift to be able to use art as a means of channeling because where would it go if not in the art? Is there anything in your experience that you feel like just has no purpose? 
the elements of doubts that I, in my ability to do certain things are not all that helpful. I would say that fear is kind of the, the enemy of movement and of change, the silencing of yourself. Even as women, you know, the ways that I have noticed in the past, things that I might not say, and then somebody else will say it, usually a, a man will say it, and I think, God, I knew that, or I was going to suggest that, but I felt like it was silly, so I didn't say it. I don't know where it comes from necessarily, but I don't think that's useful. Meaning also like applies to language and how we use language and what different words mean. People reading your work could put meaning on something that wasn't something you intended to mean. Super simplified question, but do you have a word that you find yourself using a lot and that you love or like that holds specific meaning for you? I love the word joy because it encompasses just the human experience. It's the up and downs. Just being alive, which is not always good. It's fraught with difficulty. It's fraught with insecurity. It's fraught with, oh, is this the right decision? But that's part of it. Joy is being here, right? The existence. Yeah, I think so. I could be wrong, but I think so. Yeah, because I think it allows us to dig into and maybe try and find the beauty in something that can feel quite uncomfortable, that that can be part of the experience. The idea of negative experience being part of purpose. Okay, as a kid, I knew I wanted to be an actor and it was not like, and then all the doors opened up and it was super easy. There was tons of moments of doubt and struggle and hardship and all of that. And so just because you feel a pull towards something, a meaning, a purpose, doesn't mean that it's a smooth road. I think sometimes it's the worst days that prove your purpose the most. For me, I was super injured. I was in a wheelchair for six months and I think fighting through that time and like surviving that and finding a voice within myself that was like, push harder, push harder. You can do this. Okay, bend your knees, stand up. It was like a very physical, visible thing that I was working through. And it was so challenging and so hard. And then like gifted me this strength, this voice that I know really well in my head that's like super driven, totally able to like set a goal for herself and then like achieve the goal and then be like, okay, great. You got the goal. Like, do you want to have a lemonade? (laughs) (laughs) You deserve to have a lemonade because you did the thing. It's interesting. Like sometimes bringing up like the hardest times in your life actually helps me recognize my purpose the clearest. I agree with that because the smooth sailing wouldn't provide the joy to use that word again. I'm not sure that you would get it because it would just be no waves in the sea. There's just nothing. It's the enjoyment and then the wondering if the enjoyment will end and what would that be like? And the idea of falling in love is not all that pleasant. It's fraught with fear. I mean, it's exciting. It's horrible too. You feel it in your gut. They don't call you, you know, right at the beginning. And it's just, it's so many things, but that's why it's so sweet as well. And I think this is what you were saying, Jesse, about can I do it? Oh, I don't think I could do it. I'm going to push past it. Oh, yesterday was difficult. And then today I did it. That sense of achievement is kind of what it's about. I'm now realizing like in the worst days of my life when I can crack a joke and actually get people to laugh. Like I had paramedics at my house, but I was still like cracking jokes. And I remember watching like the face of this firefighter. He was just like, so you're fine. Like if you're able to like make a room full of men who are here to like rescue you laugh, then it seems like you're good. And I was like, 
Yeah, I am fine. <laughs> it totally like puts things into perspective and you're like, oh yeah, all I wanted to do in life was make silly jokes and it helped get me through. And now it's the thing that I get to do when things are awesome too. And also a sign that that is your purpose, right? Yeah. Because that's where you went in the face of all of that difficulty. Life also is littered with clues everywhere. And it's just up to us to see that this has been the most natural thing to me. It's probably my calling. We've talked before about little exercises that people can do, like breathing exercises, for example, very small controlled moments that can feel in your body out of control that allow you to meet yourself and see like, what is my natural response? And, you know, Jesse, you had that experience with the paramedics to see when you were faced with something that was very difficult, insurmountably hard. That's how you showed up. And that's mm -hmm. what was true. Can you talk about getting to that voice that I feel like is honest and true, but then there's a lot of noise around it. How do you get to what is clear and what's true? I think it's as simple as not listening to too many people about important things pertaining to you, unless you go specifically to someone for advice. The obvious things like not too much advertisements, not mindless sort of TV, not disappearing into internet rabbit holes, unless you're going intentionally, because all of that does add up and we're taking things on all the time. We just soak things up in ways that we don't even realize it. I, I know this because if I have a day when I'm on TikTok for an hour and then when I go to bed at night before I meditate, when I close my eyes, I can sometimes see images of things I picked up in the day. So that shows it stays with you. So we have to be intentional about what we're just picking up and what we think is just on in the background. It's not. Your body's super intelligent. It's always sucking things up. So I think it's things like that, like limiting the noise and curating what you want to see and listen to. I have to do that. Otherwise, I'm just so full of everybody else's stuff. I won't be able to hear myself. I won't be able to make anything. When you're mindfully curating what you want to take in, what are the go-tos? What are your favorite things? What TV do you watch? My TV is only on when I want to specifically watch something. That's it. I'm not a fan of noise anyway. It stresses me out. So that is easy for me. I do fall into YouTube holes. I love it. When I'm watching too much reality TV, for example, after a while, I just can't do it anymore. I feel the stress. And it's about feeding my things with what I really want at that time. Because if I do want to watch Real Housewives, I'll go and do it. But it can't just be on in the background or I can't be doing it because I'm bored. I need to do it because I feel like watching Real Housewives now. You know, there's a difference. I have to do the things that I know I've got space for and I know that I really am here to do. Otherwise, your energy gets expended with those things because you do use up energy even listening to things, even in the background. So I think it's more of a case of what to leave out. I don't want to villainize anything. I just want to say that it's got its time and place. I know you've lived in both England and South Africa. Have you experienced any cultural differences in the purposes that people attribute to their lives? Being in, first of all, the continent of Africa, there were an incredible group of poets that used to meet on a Monday night in Cape Town where I was. Just the encouragement everybody gave each other and the way that they would go and speak their words with the conviction and the energy that I hadn't seen before in that way. It was so inspiring and so exciting. That prepared me for everything else, I think. And then I went back to England just 
really looking forward to doing that. And it was different. It wasn't as accessible. It was hard to get a start. Whereas it was, I think, a lot more community spirited and that anyone could get up. There was a protocol, especially in, with the scene in London. It was a bit isolating, actually, at first. And then slowly people get to know you, so then you're good. I wouldn't say it was as open-armed as South Africa. And I'm so glad that that was where I sort of found it again, because I'd stopped for a long time. And that was where I started to feel, this is what I want to do. I want to write and perform. And this is what it feels like. Do you think humans need purpose? Yeah, we need purpose because I think, why else would we be here? I think it's important to know what we are here to do. Sometimes we think it's this complicated thing when actually it's to have a good time, love other people, lead, share, nurture love. Making people laugh is everything. That's what I go to when I, if I feel demotivated, I go onto YouTube and look for things that make me laugh. <laughs> That's a lifeline that helps people want to stay on the planet. Yeah, I think everyone needs purpose. Will you tell us a little bit about your next book? The new book I wrote in the pandemic, I knew I was writing a book, but I thought it would be loads different. It's never the book I intend to write anyway. There was a lot of noise because we were all spending time by ourselves. And there was a lot of noise about how to be better, what to do with your diet. And we were spending all day inside. And there was YouTube and there was Instagram and TikTok. And it was just getting really noisy. And all I could think of to write was a sort of antidote to that and remember to come into myself, to breathe, become aware of the small things that give me purpose in a world so full of noise and distractions it's kind of a journey back to center and just notes on what it is to meet yourself anywhere you are from my understanding this book includes questions i really appreciate that because i do have a personal allergy when people are like oh this is the thing and this is the way to change your life i'm much more interested in an invitation to explore myself with questions prompts reflections that will allow me to find it for myself in the same way that your friends kind of say, oh, but what do you think about this? That's what it is. You know, we're all in it together. And these are things that I kind of want to remind myself. So it's kind of to the reader and the reader's me and the reader is just anybody I care about. But yeah, I certainly am not writing from the vantage point of someone who has the answers because that would be a mistake. Who's the first person who reads new work that you've written? my editor at Penguin or my agent, I don't actually share it that much. With the other books, they were more autobiographical. So it wasn't as difficult to sort of be okay with what was on the page because it was just the truth. That was it. I didn't have to qualify anything. But with this book, I did have a lot of stop and start and a lot of God, am I stating the obvious here? I wrote it and I sent it back and I just, you know, worried about it privately. And that was it. Because I didn't want to show people because I just <laughs> thought, if anyone says the wrong thing, I'm just going to climb in bed for two months. So that's what I did. <laughs> so do you feel apprehension with the book coming out? Yeah, last year was a very choppy year. And finding things, even things close to the heart, it was not plain sailing. It wasn't at all. I just tried to keep my head down and do it in when I felt inspired and tried not to push it when I didn't. And there was so much time when I didn't feel inspired, of course, because it was last year, it was last year. November the 2nd, the how, 
yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. It's very much my pandemic book. And you just have to write what's there and not judge it too much and hope that it, somebody enjoys it or someone finds it useful. I can't wait to read it. I'm really excited. I have a very good feeling about this. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you. It has been so nice talking to you. Thank you for joining me on my sad oh. girl day and for bringing so much sunshine into it. I'm really grateful I let myself be vulnerable with you. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me be part of it because it means a lot. It really does. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, I will plug again. Here's his new book, The How, Notes on the Great Work of Meeting Yourself, comes out November 2nd. Grab it. Read it. Let's talk about it. I'm so excited to hear about these questions and how we're all making meaning out of it. Thank you so much, Yersa. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Bree, for knowing cool cool people, cool poets, cool scientists, cool everybody, and for expanding my life in the way that you have and for being so welcoming and loving with me in all my weird iterations of myself. And just you're so patient. A projected version of you that does not exist, but a version of you that I can create would be like, I can't believe Jesse signed on to this fucking call and then talked about depression. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite part. Talked about her bullshit during someone else's interview. Like, what's wrong with her? Did she not watch The Art of the Interview by Barbara Walters before we started making this podcast? I wish you had never watched <laughs> The Art of the Interview from Barbara Walters. Honestly, I Me wish too. that that was Me gone. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Like, we should bring ourselves to this. Like, if we're going to take the time to do this, then why not? It's humanizing and comforting to bring all parts of ourselves to the conversation, Jesse. Yes, it's okay. Really. And by you doing it, it allows me the opportunity to do it too. Because yes, I wasn't feeling that way today, but who knows? Next time we record, maybe I will be feeling that way. Chances are, it's a high probability that it will be me. Okay. <laughs> I get depressed. I get crabby. I get tired. Heaven knows I could have eight hours of sleep and then I'm going to be a monster on this recording. So it happens. And I, I was grateful that you were able to bring that because I also knew that yours is the type of person that like experiences all the emotions too from so diligently <laughs> reading her work so many times. It's what I connect with is that she's not just saying, oh, everything has to be perfect all the time. It's not that interesting when it's perfect all the time. She was awesome. I loved her enthusiasm about your purpose being reliant on other people and how it's totally fine to wanting to be of service and to want to bring joy to people, to want them to read your work. It's not a weakness that I care about what other people think, <laughs> that other people are somehow benefiting from my existence. She put it even more dramatically that you were helping people like want to live on this planet. I know. I, I don't know that I would say that myself. <laughs> like, oh, I made this stupid joke and now someone's yeah, but alive. She, but she was saying that from personal experience. She was saying, you know, when she's down, she goes on YouTube and watches things that will make her laugh. So that's legitimate. That's a stamp. That's the interesting thing about the internet and that we're just like putting messages out there and we have no idea how positively or negatively they will affect people. It's, it's an immense power that we all have. And so the fact that you've been able to contribute in that way and there's incredible gifts of you, of your ponytail for me to enjoy personally, <laughs> as well as your jokes and humor for other people. I mean, hello. Not to say that other people don't enjoy your ponytail. I'm just saying I know no, that that's what I It sounded more like you only enjoy the ponytail. <laughs> You're like, you know, 
You've provided me the ponytail and other people like and your And other people get other things. <laughs> well, we'll let the listeners say, please comment on this episode if you too enjoy a good gif of Jesse's ponytail. <laughs> Did you have any, um, any specific things, any takeaways from this conversation? I loved hearing her talk about how diligent she has to be about writing, yes. about the noise, because I really struggle with that. And as you know, and I think some of our listeners know, like I'm so diligent about process and I sometimes annoy myself with how much structure and things I create in order to keep my mind clear. And I wondered if I had just deep mental problems because of the amount of stuff and systems that it takes for me to feel joy. <laughs> and so hearing someone I admire so much talk about their struggle was just so helpful. And then also, as I had talked about in the, in the conversation with her, I definitely have a problem with putting people on a pedestal and idolizing them. 100% did that with her where I thought, oh, she's so vulnerable. She's so honest. She must not have a trouble because <laughs> she's able to just put it to paper and put it out there in the world. And it rings true. And I just continue to love hearing people talk about the things that make them feel... Oof, just so deeply vulnerable and shameful and things that even in our uh, desire to try and dispel taboos that we still find them. They still kind of find their way back into our body somehow. Yes, they do. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> the body loves a taboo, you know, or even just hearing her talk about how she's like, oh, like bills and paperwork are hard for me. I'm like, I'm not alone. Right, I know yes. these weren't like huge parts of the conversation, but these are like the unexpected aspects of the conversation that grab me and I'll end up thinking about for a while. Also, I just want to say I love your systems. I think they're, if anything, like super intelligent and reliable. And I think it's great to have the structure that you have. There are days where I'm like, oh, I just need to steal some of Bree's systems and throw some structure into this day. <laughs> Text me anytime. If you're like, I need a system, I'll be like, I got systems on me. A hot moment followed by a cold moment. I'll sweat it out and then get into a freezing cold shower. Every time I do, I think Bree's skin looks this good because she does this. Systems. Systems. It's all systems. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm really excited for our next segment. All right. For the second part of our episode, we asked our listeners to answer a question which stems from yours' upcoming book, The How. The question is... What activities help you to tune out the noise? I'll start. What helps me to tune out the noise is a delicious meal with good company. All right, you're up next. Singing really helps me. If I can blast some music and scream sing along to it or go for a drive and play some sad song, that always helps clear my head. Or swimming. Swimming has always helped me since I was a little kid. It just kind of gets me out of the dark gooky feelings, or even taking a bath, really just getting into water. It always helps me clear my head. Those are my answers. Mm. All right. Well, now let's hear from our listeners. Hi, Brie and Jesse. I love to sit down with a great book. If I read a chapter or two, I start to realize that I'm pretty calm afterwards. The things that help me tune out the noise and the rest of the world, generally video games and electronic soldering. Uh, specifically, I build lightsabers. What helps me tune out the noise is going for a run, climbing the mountain that's like in my backyard, or doing crosswords. It just helps engage my brain and get my mind off of things. I'm a college student, and sometimes things get really overwhelming, 
So to tune out the noise, my friend and I go to our local forest park to stargaze, and occasionally we scream into the void, which is very therapeutic. I highly recommend it. I basically just go for drives and blast the music and just zone out, drive through the mountains, just alone with the music, and I don't have to think if I don't want to. Going for a walk down the beach. I think the waves are really calming, and it's nice just to be away from the town and stuff like that. The only other thing is, quite often I play guitar, but I always tend to play songs that I know really well and just kind of tune out to everything. It's honestly got to be yoga. I just love doing it, and I feel like you get to focus a lot on your breath, a lot of control. So I feel like I don't hear much noise or feel much noise when I'm doing yoga. What really helps me cancel out all the noise is going out into nature and grounding myself with the noises that our Mother Nature provides. If I'm looking to silence the outside for sleep, for example, I would say some kind of rain noise, some kind of thunderstorm. Something about the rain just kind of puts me in my own bubble and it helps me to decompress from the day. I meditate in the sauna or a quiet corner at home and I'll listen to some soft waves in the background and I'll meditate for 10 or 20 minutes. It has allowed me to stop and be present and has taught me to sustain awareness and be here in the now instead of where my mind thinks it should be. thing that I do, which hear me out to tune out the noise, is reading. When I read, I can usually zone out everything that's going on around me, past, present, or future, as far as like my concerns or worries. I will purposefully watch a movie that I know is going to put me deep in some feelings because whatever noise is happening in my head will have to shut up so I can focus on the movie. And then if I'm deep in feelings and I start crying or something, the noise has a way to release. I love to work out, especially uh, rowing while listening to podcasts such as yours. And then also driving in my Jeep with my pup to get coffee. Those are the things that make me happy. Thanks so much. I love your podcast. Looking forward to the next one. I love that. Thank you, guys. Thank you for sharing. Wow. I've learned so much and I agree with them all. I can't wait to build a lightsaber. I'll let you know how that goes for me. Sending so much love. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned a lot today. Love you. Bye. Bye.